Welcome to Prime Suspects, where we bring you an insider's look behind the counter of Prime Sports. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined by Joe Brennan Jr. and Adam Bjorn. And Joe, to kick things off, last week's episode seemed to get the most feedback to date, at least on gambling Twitter. You were part of a pretty spirited debate at times on what gets better is limited with a current better and former trader at a recreational sports book. I'll note the comments were mostly civil and thoughtful from all involved, but all in all, Joe, what's your takeaway from that back and forth? I think I showed a lot of personal growth because I don't think I used a single profanity when responding to the gentleman. I thought I'd try to be nice about it, but I did find it odd that what springing from a, why was Maverick Carter not betting at a recreational sports book? Why was he betting offshore to this gentleman wanted to say like, well, I know the reason why people get limited at sports books because I was a guy who did the limiting, which was interesting because once he went through all this and the back and forth, it was just basically saying like, well, then you can just sign up at Prime Sportsbook and you won't have to worry about any of that shit at all because we're not going to be doing all that. And this was after he offered some tips on disguising your plays or not getting limited during live betting and things like that. It's, I get it. I mean, look, there's two predominant business models. One far more dominant in this market right now, which is that UK style of bookmaking when limiting people, regardless of factors. people get limited because they string together a couple of wins. People get limited because they are showing like they have sharp tendencies, whatever it may be. Adam's far more expert on this, but it is funny when people want to argue on the behalf of shutting down people because they win, regardless of how skillful they may be. It just doesn't seem consistent with the American sports betting ethos. All right. Well, you might have scored some points for personal growth by not using any profanity in the Twitter back and forth, but I did catch a snippet of profanity in your answer here. So still a little bit of room for growth, at least on this podcast moving uh, forward. What are you, what are you, my mom, Matt? Jeez. You know, got to, got to try to see if we can get this through without that explicit flag. For real profanity. <laughs> let's go to King Adam. I mean, the guy is a connoisseur maestro of it. Adam, you did chime in to that exchange uh, at some point over the weekend, I believe. So what did you take away from it? Yeah, I mean, I was looking for some spots to come in, but, you know, I thought the shipper was pretty much spot on with the majority of the stuff he said. It's just the way the world's structured. It's not just this market. I mean, we were dealing with these same things two decades ago, 10 years ago with different jurisdictions. It's just part and parcel of the operators that are in the market there. And again, when you really dive into it, Unless you're actually sitting in a seat profiling, it's really hard to understand what it is. It's really hard to explain because there's so many nuances as to why someone may get limited rather than just winning, rather than closing like value, rather than, and then you get a group of people that profiling as a profession and they can have three or four different opinions on one guy when you get a group of them in a room. So it's part and parcel for the business, always a tipping point of having a, an argument over or whatnot. You know, it's just way too much part of the game these days. A lot of these players that are getting limited shouldn't be limited. And ultimately that's, you know, it's kind of been an angle that I've thought of for a while of why not, hey, DraftKings, FanDuel, anyone that you've limited, do an affiliate deal, bring them over. You know, we'll make something out of them and you can get something back. It's a constant and just, again, part of the business that's unfortunate in my opinion. And for those of you listening at DraftKings and FanDuel, that's affiliates at primesports.com. Jason, Amy, waiting for your email. 
As you wait, Joe, we will pivot from a sports betting topic to a detour on iGaming as we get into this week's segment on the latest from Inside Prime Sports. New York legislators have announced an iGaming push for 2024, and per Next.io, this would create the largest online casino market in the U.S., and the draft bill intended to use the same framework as the mobile sports betting write-up that was passed in the state of New York. Joe, I know Prime Sports hasn't said much publicly about iGaming to date. Any thought behind potential plans to add a casino to the sportsbook? We'll take all the opportunities we can to offer customers the games that they want. I, and largely because it's not that casinos are a huge strategy of ours, but oftentimes players in between games, they're, they might want to play blackjack or whatever. It's more about just having a broad offering. We'd like to add racing. That's one thing we'd like to add might even add poker at some point. It's more from an intention of just having a broad offering where I think we differ from some of the other folks is, and, and you've heard it in their strategies at FanDuel and DraftKings and others, and that is to use sports as an acquisition vehicle and then drive people to casino games because they are far more profitable for them, a lot less volatility. And I think it's that kind of long-term strategy that they want to have that drives a lot of the craziness on the bonusing and the acquisition costs, figuring like, all right, if we can push our acquisition cost, you know, maybe it takes based on their current burn rate as a sports customer out two and a half years. But if in during that two and a half years, we bring on iGaming online casino in a state, then that acquisition number is going to pale in comparison to what that customer will yield if we get them into casino games. Yeah, we were just talking with somebody who was uh, from another online operator, sportsbook and casino here in New Jersey. And, you know, they have some really high profile uh, sports deals and 80% of their base is casino. And they're more than happy to be in that business. It's going to be surprisingly a lot longer. If you back up like 10, 15 years when I first got involved in the lobbying on behalf of iGaming and online sports betting, I wouldn't have at that point said, oh yeah. You're going to have 30 plus states that are going to rush into sports betting because it was considered politically the third rail for gaming politics. And that online casino, you'd only have what, half a dozen states that would have legal online casino. I would have thought it would have been the reverse, but not even COVID seems to have primed the engine for more growth in that regard. I think it's going to be really tough, but as far as we're concerned, the states where it's offered, where it makes financial sense. We'd be happy to enter that. New York, 51% GGR tax rate on gaming dollars. That would not be a market that we would have any interest in. Well, getting back into the bread and butter of this show, focusing once again on sports betting and following the path of some snowbirds this time of year from New York down the coast of Florida, the water cooler segment, Hard Rock has relaunched in Florida. And Adam, I'd like to kick it over to you for this topic because while Florida now has regulated sports betting once again, mobile and in person. Hard Rock is the only operator in the state. And so I'm wondering what percentage of dollars you think would go to the unregulated market in Florida compared to other states like New Jersey and Colorado that offer more variety? Yeah, well, I mean, it starts at 100% of any Florida bets would be unregulated before they went in. Uh, I imagine their market is probably 60% the size of a New York potentially and maybe New York's 60% regulated right now versus unregulated. So I imagine, again, one operator, you know, they'll chime in. The way to work out the math is pretty much working backwards from that. 
60% of the New York numbers and then maybe seeing what they're reporting and then working out the percentages from there. You know, I think Florida has always been a, a heavily sports betting state. They'll pick up a great amount of business being the monopoly there. And it's, you know, a great opportunity for them. And Joe, when it comes to this topic, I also feel compelled to acknowledge that despite our best efforts, most bettors aren't and probably never will be all that price sensitive. So how much would you say it really matters for the state's handle that Florida only offers one operator? Well, I disagree with what you started with there, Matt. <laughs> right. All right. Proceed on that as well. No, look, it, it, it's saying that eventually sports bettors won't see that there's a difference between paying $10 to get something and $8 to get the same thing. This market, regulated market, I should say, is in its infancy. So not expecting that somehow sports betting is going to be unique from every other commerce area and that people just, nah, I don't care how much it costs. I'm just really into the convenience. So that's simply not the case. But having said that, like in Florida, there are other operators. They're just not legal. If there's one thing that the United States has demonstrated, it's remarkably easy for players to be able to find alternatives if they don't like the local option. They'll just go offshore. And so if hard rock isn't careful, it's always nice to have a monopoly. Government-sponsored monopolies are outstanding, especially if you're an equity holder in it, right? But if they aren't careful and they start to squeeze their customers thinking that, you know, well, that's fine. They'll pay whatever as long as they have the convenience. That only lasts for so long and will only hold true for a certain number of those customers. I mean, remember, all of those Florida customers right now are being migrated from other markets. Either they're, you know, informal markets between friends, dark markets on the street or offshore or worse. And now they're betting with a regulated market operator in Hard Rock. Hard Rock is not currently offering anything so unique that flow wouldn't necessarily reverse if they were not kind to their customers. All right. And Florida may have three NFL teams, but Las Vegas will be welcoming four teams in an event Adam won't want to miss. That transitions us right into our look ahead segment this week. The National Rugby League is bringing one of Australia's most popular sports to Vegas on March 2nd, 2024. Allegiant Stadium is going to host a season opening doubleheader showcasing the Sea Eagles against the Rabbitohs, as well as the Roosters taking on the Broncos. Adam, first off, what kind of wagering activity do you think this event might generate? Uh, next to zero. Uh, I saw someone quoted uh, less than 1%. It wouldn't have taken a genius to say less than 1%. I imagine it's closer to a 10th or a hundredth of 1% for any kind of betting to happen. You know, the Americans generally don't go too far outside, you know, the scope of their, their main sports. You know, there's been major league rugby, which is a different kind of rugby played a season or two now, and there's been betting available on that and not a lot of action had. Uh, and I think there was even a, an NRL or a rugby league version some years ago, if not still sort of around that, you know, I think I remember pricing it up maybe 10 years ago or something that just sort of went away and didn't get any real action. I imagine this is something like a lacrosse or a, a sport that really won't, uh, won't see much action. The good thing is of all the rugby's, this is probably one closest to the NFL style where you get your five tackles and then you kick the ball and pass it down to the other team and change possessions and things like that. 
So maybe that'll get a bit more traction and understanding of the, the flow of the play. But I, I imagine the, the betting volume will be very, very, very low. I think you were referring to Chris Grove of Eilers and Krychik when he shared the estimate that the NRL would make up less than 1% of handle. So I guess, Adam, more broadly, how do you foresee the potential for non-American sports to fare in the regulated U.S. betting market? I think it'll be a struggle. I mean, we've even seen, you know, I think uh, earlier this year, Circa commenting how little they get on soccer. It's just, it's something that hasn't really gravitated. Now, you've seen more and more sports come on TV, even Aussie Rules on ESPN back 20 years ago. It was, uh, you get a little bit of betting on that. During COVID, when it was still going, when a lot of other sports shut down, it was uh, seeing some action as well. Again, the time zone. But if you're taking these sports to the US and trying to play them in prime time or when actual US sports are playing, I think you really struggle. The, the only real chance you have is potentially if you're bringing the sport over, catch a few fans, you take it back to the country of origin and put it on those off time zones, then maybe you'll pick up some overnight bets and, and things like that. But it's just a market that it's really, really difficult on the betting side to infiltrate your basketballs, your NFLs, your college footballs, even your hockeys, which is a really, really uh, low bet sport compared to the others. I think something you touched on, the timing of all this, it's probably no coincidence that we're talking about March 2nd for this NRL doubleheader to take place after the Super Bowl, before March Madness, in that kind of dead period where it's very little other than spring training and baseball, I guess, and college basketball getting closer to the big dance. And hockey? Oh, boy. It's also this, the beginning of or the end of the Australian summer, which is the beginning of the rugby season. So again, you know, that's where you maybe capture some of it, you know, no NFL. I don't know if there's any XFL or any of those things anymore bet on, but again, finding a spot where there's not a lot on something similar to maybe the NFL, but it's a good viewing sport. It's lots of hard hitting action. There's no pads. So there's real men playing the game. So, you know, it's good. It'll be fun. And Joe, I think you caught me there. Of course, there is the NBA going on. There's hockey as well. So it, while it's a relatively dead spot on the sporting calendar, of course, there's plenty going on. So looking through that lens, how would you say, Joe, that you foresee any possible non-U.S. sports possibly breaking through in the U.S. market, knowing that going back to our first conversation, I think you mentioned things like cricket, a lot of opportunities where Prime could have offerings that might not be as widely available elsewhere. Where do you see opportunity in all of this? This is a sports discussion more broadly and you're really talking about two different things you know and, and adam probably knows better than i like what comes first the chicken or the egg is it will betting follow the public's attention or the will it trail i think it's going to be really difficult to expect that you're going to pick up a lot of betters and a lot of handle based on one double header played in vegas in march right so it's and just like with Formula One, are you really going to pick up that many fans from one event in Las Vegas per year you know, versus, you know, Formula One got X number of, you know, like millions of fans maybe here in the United States because of a series on Netflix, which even I watched and I decided I hated that little Dutch guy from Team Red Bull. You know, I do like the Australian guy. He's like the best hang in Formula One. What's his name again? Ricciardo. Got it. 
There you go. I love that guy. He's cool. You see now, and we see this large and small, you know, have everything from Formula One, Australian rules, football, cricket, all those sports. They see America as a potential gold mine. Why? Well, because America has got a lot of money. It's a huge sports media culture. American billionaires are really interested in going overseas and buying teams in other leagues, you know, in soccer, now in the Indian Premier League for cricket and things like that. So there's a lot of money to be made. And now, and there's a, kind of like an intellectual laziness, like, well, if we offer this for betting, people definitely bet on that. So we get inquiries from people who are selling like the official data of, God, what was the one a couple of weeks ago, Adam was like tractor balancing or something like that. It was really amazing. Or cornhole, like remember DraftKings, the official sponsor of the cornhole league here in the United States, which that word means something different from what my neighborhood was. <laughs> but uh, I, come on, Matt. Uh, anyway, it's, you know, so you have a lot of sports that are now rushing to the U.S. They're using the fact that this is a new regulated sports betting market, all the media opportunity, plus the betting opportunity. Betting's just enough media opportunity. It's kind of a gold rush in general for sports, global sports coming to America. But it really does have to be sustained. For Formula One, their being able to sustain that documentary on Netflix had more of an effect on their popularity here and maybe interest in betting in racing than that Las Vegas Grand Prix did. Despite the very manly men of Australia showing us how sports should be done, absence of pads, just mano a mano, it's not going to get much. And, and it's a shame, but if they can find a way to start off with whatever little interest they have there and create a sustained audience and make that investment, most people don't. It's similar to sports books that come here. They just open up and they expect a flood of people, but they don't really invest in trying to capture people's attention or differentiate or anything like that. It's all in the execution and the sustainability. And we'll see. I'm going to continue to harp on cricket simply because we've got all these quants who are, we meet like going to these, you know, going to things like Bet Bash. And, you know, these guys talk about like, oh, I'm a real quant, I'm a data guy, I'm a bottom up market model maker and all those things. I don't know why they're not all over cricket because it's swimming in liquidity globally. And it's a data driven sport. There's so many data sets that are available. I would think that it would be a natural for finding new opportunities, but you know, I'm, I'm just a guy. All right. Well, Joe, I think you tied it together pretty well there in the end. I was tempted to cut you off before things went too much further after that cornhole reference. <laughs> We're going to take that out in post post-production, right? <laughs> All right. Well, one thing we can keep in for sure is a, a note that from Australia to the U.S. and everywhere in between, wherever you're listening to this show, thank you for making us part of your week. And you can register for Prime Sports at primesports.com. You can also download the Prime Sports app and you can follow Prime Sports on Twitter at Prime Sportsbook. Please feel free to message us there with any questions or segment ideas. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Brennan Jr. You can follow Adam there as well at Adam Bjorn 2. You can also find links to all of the above in the show notes. Once again, everybody, thanks for listening this week and we'll catch you next week right back here on Prime Suspects. You must be 21 or over to play on Prime Sports. Always bet responsibly and within your limits. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thank you.